Today's Wednesday. It is November 18th, 2020, and we're ready to begin our worship service. Let's begin with prayer. Father, thank you for this hour that we have this evening. We thank you for life, health, and strength, and uh, we thank you for those who have called in to our worship service. We're asking that you would give us wisdom as we approach the scriptures that are before us, the concepts, the, the theological thoughts as well, that as we think about how it all fits into your eternal plan. Also, Father, we're continuing to ask for prayer for the for Cliff and Corinne uh, and the, you know, the children. And we're praying for not only them, but all the extended families that uh, are affected by this uh, COVID virus. So we're praying for relief from the suffering and, you know, we're praying that they may be healed and, and the, you know our heart, Father. So also we're praying for the world, the nation, the world at large. Uh, as we have found a vaccine, it appears, and we pray that that will be distributed in an orderly manner. All this we ask in Christ's name, for his sake. Amen. Amen. So, all right, so we... Amen. Well, we don't know. She w She was tested, though. It's in our house, so okay. that's why why we're, we're calling it out. Yeah, yeah, and I, I meant to tell you that let's keep a prayer for Tanya too, because she was tested positive. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. All right, so we're going to talk about this after after we're done. All right. Yeah, I hear you, and we're going to put her on the prayer list as well. Huh. All right. So we're going to continue. Um, as you know, our normal course of study is uh, Romans chapter 8, and we are right in the middle of verse 29. We'll get to it tonight, I'm sure. And we have notes again, So, and I, there are some additions to what we covered uh, in the notes, so you, hopefully you can find that, and we'll get to that later. But in the meantime... We want to just pause and see if there are any questions that we can answer. Um, if not, we just head straight into Romans. It's uh, the floor is open. Um, yes, I have a, I, I guess a small question. In 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 light of that, it is right on Romans eight twenty nine. Oh, please um, go right ahead. Okay, so. Uh, in previous studies, uh, specifically the last study we had on last Wednesday, we talked about foreknowledge. There were several verses, and we understood that foreknowledge had to do with believers and unbelievers. Uh, it wasn't necessarily for believers. So 829 says, for those God foreknew, Without any prepositions or any commas, he says he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might uh, that he might be firstborn firstborn among among many brothers and sisters. So, kind of like my question is: this verse seems to say um, 
that foreknowledge, um, in other words, these the people that were foreknown were also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Yes. And yes. Yeah. And I would. Okay. I so know, I think I see what your question you is to, already. But go ahead. Okay. So what, I'll, I'll let you finish. I'll, I'll be quiet. No, no. I'll let you finish. You know. So I know that. Uh, I know that. Uh, you know, we're talking about those unbelievers that uh, Israel uh, uh, is foreknown. Um, uh, Judas Iscariot was foreknown, and his uh, wicked, and his wicked. Uh, so you know, the people that you know that participated in uh, in you know arresting and accusing our Lord uh, were foreknown. Uh, but they also weren't predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. That's correct. So there, there lies my question that you'll probably answer it tonight. So we don't need to waste time with it. Well, it's not a waste of time. In fact, <clears throat> it is a good question. And so here's the thought. So from, from Israel, they are also foreknown and they are also predestined. But Israel is a racial species. So what, what God created when he uh, chose Abraham, chose Isaac, and then chose Jacob, and then named Jacob Israel, is a racial species. And we find that there are those who are in Israel uh, that are not necessarily believers in Jesus Christ. Now, it seems a little odd because of all the uh, advantage that they have from being uh in raised in the, the racial the new racial species that was on the earth you would think that they would have their culture dictate to them but no so they could still be unbelievers so the scribes the pharisees they are still jews even though they are unbelievers now were they foreknown that god did it does it say but he's talking about a nation so the nation could have a lot of people in it and the nation uh, it's not, so when we think about Israel, it's a little different. So even when we talk about um, Moses, not Moses, but Pharaoh or Jacob's brother, Joseph's brothers, or you know how they were a part of the plan that got Joseph to be where he was and all that. Even even though we talk about them, they are in part. They are part of the plan of God, right? God. Uh, even though they were uh, meant for evil, like Joseph said at the end, they meant it for evil, God still knew about them. And he allowed that part that they played to be a part that uh, continued or carried forth his plan. He allowed that. So here's the difference here when we're in these verses. And there is a major difference in the church, right? So let's just call it out that in Ephesians... The difference between, a major difference between the church and Israel, if we look in Ephesians chapter 3 and we go to uh, verse uh, 6, uh, wait a minute, let's see, 5, yeah, so here it is, verse 6, 3, 6, it says, the mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. 
So, so here, think about it this way. Through the gospel, in, in order for someone to be in the church, you have to come through the gospel. You cannot... Now, now, you could say, how does one get in Israel? You have to have the genes of Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. Or you can be a convert to Judaism. And that means you would have to be circumcised. Uh, you know, you have to get with the Mosaic Law. And all of that, you can become a convert to Judaism. But unless you have the genes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then, uh, you know, you, you're not part of Israel. But through the church... It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're Jew, if you're Israel, if you're Gentile, whatever. You have to come through the gospel. So that says something about the church. Now, God's plan still is orchestrated. For instance, Pilate was a God knew about Pilate. But I don't know if we want to say Pilate is foreknown. We could say that God knew that Pilate was going to do this or that the, those evil people were going to... Um, to, to instigate and get Christ on a cross. God knew the whole plan because he knew he was going to impute the sins of the, of the world to Christ. But in, in the, what Paul is telling us here is about us. And he clearly just tells us that we're foreknown and those he foreknew, he also predestined and those he predestined, he also called and those he called, he also justified, those he justified, he also glorified. So he's speaking about a particular group of people and those people that he's speaking about are believers. They are. So we're, we were going to get into this a little bit tonight. And here's one, one of the ways I, I would say. Uh, now, it doesn't mean that, it, you know, we could say that those people who uh, interacted with believers or interacted with Christ, Christ and led, that led him to the cross, doesn't say that in this scenario they are foreknown. But it does say that God knew about them because they had a very special role. If Judas didn't betray Christ, would we, would, we could say if he didn't. We can't even say if he didn't because he did. Right? So when, when Judas betrayed Christ, God knew that. Now, he pivoted off of that in many ways. He was able to judge the sins of the world in Christ, that led in Christ getting on a cross. I could say the same thing about Pharaoh. When God told Moses to Pharaoh, let my people go. Now, did, is Mo, did God know about there would be a Pharaoh? Absolutely. So, but is Pharaoh part of Israel? No. God's aim was Israel. So when we get to this point, when we say, does, does God, for, for those he foreknew, he's focusing on us as sons. That's what he's focused on. Even before he got to this verse, who was the focus of all the previous verses? Sons. Us. He was talking about, the, and, and then from one aspect, he talked about the fact that we have the Holy Spirit. And that's how we're sons. And if we're, if we're son, children, then we're heirs and heirs of all that, and then he got into talking about the creation and how we will have an effect on all creation. And then now we're talking about how the Holy Spirit has helped us, and then we're at the place where he's telling us about uh, for those he called, he also justified all that. That's clear that the foreknowledge does not extend to 
unbelievers. So here's, here's another way to say it, right, when we're dealing with this. We have to say that um, when God have, uses the word foreknowledge, foreknowledge, and this is really a part of where we're at anyway, foreknowledge comes from somewhere, and you want to see the progression of it. Because you see these verses, oh, because of this, this happened, because of that, that happened. Well, God foreknew us. That means he saw us as a part of his plan. Literally. We are those sons that God intended to bring into glory. Those many sons. We are the, the very ones. And we can't say Judas is one of those sons, or, or Pharaoh is one of those, is a part of Israel. We can't say um, those wicked people were a part of his sonship. And why can't we say that? Because in omniscience, God knows every detail about all creation. He knows the beginning, from the beginning to the end. He knows everything in between as well. When we think about that, we have to say, how, if we ask the question, how does God know who's going to believe and who doesn't, who's not going to believe? How does God know that? We could say that that is in God's omniscience. Because his omniscience knows every detail, every fact. Even the stars. God knows how many stars there are. I mean, it gets into the detail. So does God know from his omniscience who would be believers and who would not be believers? The answer has to be yes. It has to be yes. And then you could go to... So we could say then... That from foreknowledge, foreknowledge gets the information from his omniscience. So God's omniscience is there. Foreknowledge is a subset of that, only dealing with believers. So for, foreknowledge says, okay, I know Fred Presley was going to believe. I already, God saw that from before he created all things. He's the beginning. He knows about the very beginning to the end. He knew that Fred Presley was going to believe in Christ. When, But God chose that you be born in 19, I'm not going to give it away, whenever your birthday is. He knew that that was the time. You know why? Because he's the one that brought you forth. He selected you to be born in this particular time. And, and the fact that you were born in this particular time, he, he, you were able to receive the call. And that is not only the call to salvation, but when you were saved, you were also baptized into the body of Christ. You were a new creation. You're one of those many sons that he is bringing to glory. So his foreknowledge comes from somewhere. It doesn't come from, you know, it's not a random knowledge. Now, when we say, it, when we talk about foreknowledge from the standpoint of Judas and all those others, and it might say that we're in the foreknowledge, or I think it says it. Let's look at Acts. It says it this way, Acts chapter 2. So God knew this. The man, handed o the man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. So, so remember, what I say is, foreknowledge also relates to the plan. Right? God knows whatever is going to affect the plan. And if somebody plays a pivotal role in that plan, then he knows that, he knew that. Right? It's not to say uh, 
that person is foreknown, but God knows how that person would interact with uh, those who are on the ground when it comes to his plan. So, and you, with the, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So, so God, didn't God know how Christ was going to get to the cross? Absolutely, he did. He did. He knew exactly the scenario that led up to it. He knew, just like it says here, that uh, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan. In other words, it, God completely knew about it. It was pivotal to Christ dying on the cross. So, so that is why we say, uh, I, I, give, I had advanced the idea that, oh, it says it right here. But when it goes to Romans 8, and we look at form, foreknowledge, we have to say that Judas is not in it. Right? Judas can't be a part of that. Because that part is only dealing with those who are the believers. Not those who may have had confrontations with believers, even though... Some of them may be pivotal, but it only deals with believers in that scenario in Romans 8. So God knew every, he knew from every believer that would ever be born on planet earth. So he chose where they would be born. Some are just Gentiles. Some are, are Israel. Right? He, he called them for a special calling. For us, it's the church. That's what he called us to. Um, and, and in our age, the difference between us and Israel, you have to believe in the gospel. You cannot come any other way. So we know when, when Israel left Egypt, there were those who uh, were not believers. In fact, it says it was a mixed multitude of people who left out of Egypt. They were all called the children of Israel, but there were some in there who were not believers. And if we progress Israel on down to Christ's day, yeah, God still recognized them as Israel. However, he told them there was going to be judgment coming upon them because they rejected their, their Messiah. He says, your house shall be left unto you desolate. So that is the, the there, so if you were to say, is there an exception? No, because Judas does not go through uh, the gospel. So how is how did God know about Judas? Because Judas is the one who handed over Christ to be, and is is that in that's in God's in in the deliberate plan and foreknowledge. In other words, He knew that it was going to happen, and He allowed that to happen, and it benefits His plan. It benefits His plan. So you could say Judas. This is crude to say that Judas helped God. Or you could say, it's very crude to say it, but Pharaoh helped God. Or we could say, Joseph's brothers helped God. Would we want to say that? Would we want to say that Joseph's brothers were in the plan of God? Well, it's part of it, but they weren't Joseph, right? You could say, Pharaoh, yeah, God, because of what happened there, uh, all of the world got to see God's power on display, how he was able to extract over six million slaves from the most powerful country in the world. God, now, did Pharaoh help God? The answer really is yes. God did use, he did use Pharaoh, although Pharaoh is not a saved person. We believe that Pharaoh is lost. I don't believe he's lost. He's saved. I don't believe that Judas is saved. So, but, but in Romans 8, when he's saying those people who are the ones he foreknew, the people, 
Yeah, every single one of them that God foreknew. And the foreknowledge also stems from who God particularly chose to be in Christ. Who did he choose to be in Christ? So let's go through some of the notes. Fred, I hope that gets to where we're going a little bit, but but that is... Um, Ephesians, Ephesians 3, 6 really ties it together uh, for me. And uh, yeah, that was completely explained. Um, and, uh, because, you know, in Romans eight twenty nine, it goes right in and it says, uh, but he's specifically talking directly about those that are in Christ. Yes. Yeah. Through the gospel. Yeah. And, and the mystery is, is mentioned. And, uh, so it's clear, uh, they were in the for they were standing directly in the plan of God, which is why they were foreknown. Yeah, and I, and, I, I got and, and you know what the really so don't think that God is, you know, saying uh, something weird because he's talking to and Peter's talking to those very Jews who were there at Christ's crucifixion. This is what he says, fellow, verse 22, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth of Nazareth, was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, signs, and wonders. Uh, miracles, wonders, and signs. Which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. And he says this man was handed over, but God, and then we know the verse, nailing to, you know, you put him to death, nailing him to the cross, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. But it was impossible for death to keep him its hold. He's preaching to those Jews. When he gets down to 38, guess what he says? Or 30, actually 37. Um, well, let's go to 36. 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? So, so there's a context in this. Those are the people who they just figured, well, if I was a part of this, and this was something God had orchestrated, and I was playing the evil part, what about me? And Peter told them, repent, have a change of mind. You thought Jesus was somebody who needed to be crucified. You thought he was evil. You thought it. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You'll be in the church age. Imagine that. So that that's why I say, for these people, it was key that they um, played the role they played. But a lot of those people, guess where they ended up? In the church age. These, these wicked people. Now, not Judas... Right, not all of them, but those here. It says over three thousand were added to their number that day. Later on, it says that. Yeah, those who here, verse forty-one. Those who accepted the message were baptized, and about three thousand were added to their number that day. Verse four, Acts two forty-one. So we're 
where where God has given the account that says, look, don't think all, you know, this thing went awry or something. I knew this was going to happen. I knew that Jesus was going to have to go to the cross. I knew that his he would come to his own and his own re- would not receive him. God pivoted from all of that and says, I'm, I'm going to use that as a backdrop to judge the sins of the world and my son. When he's on the cross, and he did, and then he raised Christ from the dead, and showing his approval of the work of Christ. Let's go. Let's head on to the notes that we have. So, in your notes, we already covered a lot of this, and I said what I wanted to say already. Thanks to Fred's question, which is how foreknowledge is used uh, from God's omniscience, what God knows. He knows about every decision of every person. That would ever be born on planet earth so he knew that when we would believe the gospel that's why we're here and that's what we're doing as those who are called so i don't know where we fin we finished i think we might cover point number three in our notes with that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters so i don't know if we covered this but we should we should what does it mean firstborn so it literally, and this comes from Strong, it literally means the first one born, or the first begotten, or the one who has preeminence. So, and I give a couple scriptures in this, but before I give a couple scriptures, I would help you to know that in English, or from our culture, we don't have firstborn with the definition that uh, is given here in scripture because because you're firstborn or that would be you fred you're firstborn <laughs> you get the inheritance right so that's that's an economy uh, related to israel so but we don't have that uh, so firstborn has less meaning than it does back in the cultures of israel if firstborn meant the preeminent son a good example is uh, Jacob and Esau. So, who had the right of the birthright? It was Esau. He was the one that was first born. He was literally born first. And because of him him being in the order of being first, the first begotten, he had the right to to be first born. And, and the, 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 uh, the inheritance or the birthright was due to him. He squandered it. He said, oh, I'm so hungry, I don't care. Jacob, who was slick, is like, well, I'll give you this uh, something to eat if you will sell me your birthright. I'll give it to you for this pot of beans or lentils, whatever he was making. And Esau was so hungry, he didn't care. He's like, give me that, and I, I don't care. Well, God cared. God knew that Esau was going to be uh, rejected, and Esau, in turn, rejected the the inheritance. That's the story that we know of. So we must have, it must have been that God knew about that and held Esau to his own actions, because he would not reverse it, even though Esau came back and said, "Look, I was cheated. Look, this is wrong. I don't." God said, "No, no, it's Jacob who is going to have the birthright." And he even said it before the twins were born, which was out of order. This is God's sovereignty choosing Jacob over Esau. 
And Esau really was the preeminent one. He, he really had the one who, but he gave it away. He squandered it. So firstborn comes to mean that. So Christ is said to be, if you look in scripture, like in Colossians 1, I'll read it. It says he's, this is a good one for you to know because if you've ever come face to face with some Jehovah's Witness, they're going to say it means something different. So Colossians chapter 1 where it says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now get this, he's not the firstborn in a family. He's the firstborn over all creation. How can we, What does that mean? So Jehovah Witnesses think it means that Christ was the one who God created first. Uh, so Jesus was the one who God created first, and then he used Christ to create all things. So I always say to them, well, what about verse 2? It says, for in him, Christ, all things were created. It should say all other things were created, if it were to be exact, according to their theology. It does not say all other things. It just says all things. And then it even describes what things those are. And then we have John 1, 3. It says, without him, there was not one thing made that has been made not one thing made that has been made so unless jesus could have the power to create himself then i just don't know how their theology holds water anyway so they're saying that that's what firstborn means wrong firstborn is it deals with preeminence and it deals with the culture so jesus has preeminence He's the one who has preeminence over creation. Why would Jesus have preeminence over creation? Because he's the creator. He's the creator. That's the reason. For in him all things were created, things in heaven, things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He can't be a created being if all things were created through him. And for him, so again, he is the one who is the protokotos, is in the Greek, the preeminent one. He's the one who has authority. If you look in in um, Ephesians chapter one, we see that played out. So you could see the mystery talks about us, but it does tell it tell us that we'll be like Christ. In verse eighteen, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Ephesians one eighteen, I'm at in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength. Now he's going to talk about Christ. But notice, the power we have is the same. Stop right there. and We used to say, underline this in your Bible. <laughs> but we don't have to say that electronically speaking now. But the this is where you should note the power, that power is the same as what? As what? As the mighty strength that he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Wow. Who's he talking about? He's talking about us, but he's given us an analogy about what we have, the incomparably great power for us who believe. So he says, 
uh, in verse 22. And God placed what? All things under his feet. Now, when Christ created the world, the, the un he created all things. Remember, he was, he was eternal God when he did that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word himself was God. All things were created by him. He was God. As using his divinity and his omnipotence to create all things. But now Christ has changed a bit. Not only is he God, right, but he's also man. So when we're saying God placed all things under his feet, because this is the plan that in Christ, who is the God-man, all things would revolve around him now. Not just God as the creator, but God, the God-man, as we know, as Jesus Christ. And so God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. So not only is he over all things, he's the one who's preeminent. He's the firstborn, the protokotos. But he is also head over the church, which is his body. Verse 23 the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Remember, that's who he's talking about in this whole verse, is us. And the power is the same. Why? Because we've been raised and seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We have the same height and authority that he wields, although we, he is Lord. Christ Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is Lord over us as his body. So just some, some things to note. Okay, let's keep going. That's what firstborn means, right? So we, we covered that. Point B, our lives are merged with the Son through the baptism of the Spirit forever. That's forever. Really, we're here on, on the battlefield, but really our destiny doesn't begin until we receive our resurrection body. We are still in the middle. God, we should say, is not finished with us yet. When you say that, we're going through our experience on the battlefield in time. We would like to think as soon as we're done with this, we're done. There's nothing else for us to do. We would like to think that. But ours, what really God created us for doesn't even begin until we receive our resurrection bodies. Well, I shouldn't say it doesn't begin. It begins, but... Our true destiny, like the bulk of what God had planned and saw about us, isn't just that we fight on the battlefield. It's that we, are fu we fully realize the full adoption to sons, like it says uh, in Romans 8.23. That's what we're groaning for. That's why we know we're, we're like fish out of water. We're here, but really this is not our home. We're here, but, but our destiny, people can't really know who we are until the sons of God are revealed. That's what God has planned for us. So what we're going through now, yeah, we know it, but we can't fully experience all that God has planned for us. So this is our destiny. I mean, if we look at um, 1 Corinthians 15, 48 and 49, I'm going to quickly turn to that. I don't, I don't really want to skip too many scriptures. We'll just go through them. And if we have to go through another week, We'll go through another week. 1 Corinthians 15, 48 says, As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. That's Adam. And there's going to be earthly men. 
people who are not in the church age that are saved, but they are not who we are. And watch the distinction that is made. And as is the heavenly man, Christ. Remember, we just talked about all the things where he's raised to and who's also raised up there with him. As, the heaven, as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. We're, we're heavenly creatures. We're heavenly beings. We don't belong down here. right? He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. And verse 49, And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. So that's the baptism of the Spirit. It identifies us with the person of Christ. And that's where we came from, the earthly. But now, because of who we are, we have become something else, heavenly. We're not just baptized into, into the Adam who was of the earth. We're baptized into the Lord who is from heaven. So there's some distinction that we have to play. Let's move on. Uh, point number four some conclusions we have. And then there's a verse, 1 Peter 2, 4, that I'm taking all of this from. So if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Peter 2, 4. And you think Peter doesn't know about this stuff? He absolutely does. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. I don't have chapter, I don't have verse Excuse me, verse 1. So I'll just read it. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exile, scattered throughout the provinces of, of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, and Berthia. Berthinia. And then here's where I pick up in the notes, right, in verse 2. Notice, who have been chosen, right, these are people who have been chosen chosen. So just to note that when it says that, Peter understands what it means to be chosen, elected, uh, predestined, all that. And this is how he says it. The Father, and this is how I, this is my comment on who have been chosen. The Father chose certain individuals before time began to be, quote, in him. This is Ephesians 1, 4, where we get he chose. So when it, when Peter says, who have been chosen, we know that's the same verse like we have been talking about, Ephesians 1, 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Now, Peter says, uh, you know, who have been chosen according to, and this is point B, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, notice, same thing we've been talking about. People are chosen according to what? The foreknowledge of God the Father. How are people uh, foreknown? We have to say they are put into a category of foreknowledge because of God's omnipotence, is what we were talking about earlier. And since we already talked about all of that, we don't have to go over that. We already know that because of God's omnipotence, a subset of that is foreknowledge. Well, foreknowledge deals with those people who are, who are chosen in him before the creation of the world. Now, obviously, they're chosen in him, right? That's what, that's what we have to understand. So these certain individuals were chosen before time began in him. And B, according to, his fore, the, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So the choosing is according to foreknowledge. And isn't that exactly our choosing is according to that, 
that is from the foreknowledge. So when God elected us, when we say he chose us in him before the creation of the world, he chose you to be born in this particular time that he was calling out those many sons into glory. What about Israel? He chose them to be uh, in the nation of Israel, those who would have the genes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How could God? He gave life to people that he knew he wanted to be a part of Israel. God chose that before time began. He chose us to be in this age before time began. So it's according to the foreknowledge. So God knows all the possibilities of everybody, but then when he chose you, right, that says that you are a part of Israel or you are a part of the church. It depends on where God chose you to be in. We don't have opportunity to, to choose where we're going to be born. And when, I should say, we're going to be born, only God does. So it's according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. That's point B. So our choosing is according to, or that is, from the foreknowledge. So logically then, God sees us from eternity past, right? In other words, when it says he sees us, that's foreknowledge. Right? He, he, he sees, omnipotence sees everything. But now God is saying, I'm focused on my plan. So what does he... What does he, he do when, what's the word that he uses for this? It's foreknowledge. That means I'm focused now on my eternal purpose. I don't just want to create things and then hope that things come about. God planned all of this. So he chooses us, right? And chooses means election, call, right? When he elected us means he chose us. He picked us out of a number, Everybody's not elected. Some people are elected or chosen. That's the same thing, chosen, elected, right? And then if I, if I were to take it another step forward, I could say, what are we chosen for? Chosen for what? Chosen, that deals with predestination. If we're talking Israel, you are chosen to be an Israelite. That's what God, that was your destiny. What about us? We're, what are we predestined to? We are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So God reuses these words for Israel. He reuses these words for us. He used them for Christ, as we saw in, in verse 20. 1 Peter, uh, I think it's 2.20. So, so then, point number C, let's move forward. Uh, we got a little time. We're going to take a little time. So point three is, so here's another phrase from 1 Peter 2. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. What does that mean? Obviously, that means the baptism of the Spirit. That means that's how right? he knew he was going to conform us right, to the image of his Son. How, how did we get conformed to the image of the Son? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's how it happened. That's the very work of the Spirit that causes us to be identified with the person of Christ. And that's what that causes, positional sanctification in Christ. That's Ephesians 1.4. You know, where it says in Ephesians 1.4 that we will be holy and blameless in his sight. That's positional sanctification. That's every single person that he called to be in Christ, that he chose to be in Christ. They will stand before God, 
holy and blameless in his sight. This does not have anything to do with your uh, obedience, your dedication to the plan of God, your you know, obeying your calling, your receiving rewards. This has to do with what God did from eternity past. Just like it says, he blessed you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Well, that's the position you've been raised. It's just like he said in Ephesians 1.23, that we uh, have been raised with him, his body, the fullness of him, fills everything. We're identified with that person. The sanctifying work of the Spirit. Right? That's Ephesians 1.4. Holy and blameless. Then point D. Continuing in, in the verse, um, so it says, to be obedient, to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling with his blood. That means our destiny is to be in Christ, right? And we are obedient, meaning we he's the Lord and we're, we're the body, just like he has the authority over us. Uh, and we're a new creation through, how, how, how are we a new creation? It's through our salvation. That's what he's talking about, the sprinkling of blood. blood. That's sprinkling refers to a covenant. The blood refers to the death of Christ on our behalf. So according to the covenant, what's the covenant? That's salvation plan that God has chosen us for, you know, to, to, uh, for, to this calling. How do we get there? The moment we believed in Christ, God did all these things with the baptism of the Spirit and caused us to be positioned in Christ. So the God is seeing us holy and blameless in his sight. He's seeing the end Remember we said he sees the beginning and the end. He, here he's seeing the end of the church age of what we will be unto the Father. Literally. So, point E. That was point D. So when we are saved, we are born again. And this is the next verse, verse 3 of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. So I'm just following along with the context of what Peter has been saying. So, so I'm saying when we are saved, we're born again. And what are we born again into? Into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, notice what it says in uh, 1 Peter 1.3. Oh, wait a minute. It's actually not 1 Peter. I got some. It's 1 Peter uh, starting at 2. Um, yeah. Yeah, so... Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. See, so we're talking about salvation there. Into. So we're born into something. What is it? Into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, so again, based on that new life that was created from Christ. And we are baptized into, not only into his death, but into his burial and into his new resurrection life. So it is all based on the work of Christ on our behalf and what we're, the baptism of the Spirit, identifies us into. So there it is. Uh, th that's the, that's point, point E where it talks about that. We're, we're into a living hope, and we talked about the hope of our calling. It's, we don't have it yet, so it is yet, still a hope in this hope we were saved romans 8 23 or 24 so f and into not only that the next verse point verse number four first peter one four says 
um, it says that um, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And this is information that we should know. It can never be taken from us. Our inheritance belongs to us. It is never going to perish. And this inheritance, it says, is kept in heaven for you. So notice, it is a heavenly inheritance. It's not like Israel. right? So that's why I say we have a much different inheritance than Israel. right? And Ephesians 1.3, it says, We've been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, in heavenly places in Christ. Our inheritance is in heaven. Peter, don't think, Peter did not understand that. He did. He's telling you what our destiny is. It's in heaven. Reserved. That inheritance, no matter what happens on earth, no matter what you go through, no matter what experience you have, this is true of you. Why? Because he chose you in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. This is part of your destiny. So that's key for us to understand. Does Peter understand? I wanted to come from a different perspective than the Apostle Paul a little bit, just so you can see how Peter understands this. Does he understand it? Absolutely, he does. And he even adds some things to it that I thought were good, where he, he tells us in the beginning that, that we, are, we have been uh, chosen, and he says it's according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. I think the tie-in between us being chosen and the foreknowledge. That brings us to point E, because I wanted to draw a timeline just so we can understand some of these words and how they're used and when they occur. So the first thing we have to look at is eternity past. What happened before time began? So the first thing is foreknowledge. God, he, from his omniscience, he drew foreknowledge as a subset of that. And foreknowledge deals with, as we said, in this context, believers. But it also... Note to note, God knows that there would be people that those believers would interact with, whether it be Israel or whether it would be the church. He knew, but there we can't necessarily say that they're going to be saved, that they're foreknown and they're predestined, and in there because if they are, that is to say they're saved. We know Judas was not, we know Pharaoh was not, we know all those other actors were not, as we already discussed this. So foreknowledge is, is we're blessed with inheritance. That's because Peter talked about that earlier. He says because uh, from his foreknowledge, right, it, it talks about the fact that uh, you were chosen by God the Father and into an inheritance. So this inheritance that we have is where we've been blessed in every, with every spiritual blessing. That speaks of our inheritance. Also, the mystery talks about it as well, that you may know. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, or that you may know the calling to which you have received, the, the glorious riches of his inheritance in the saints. That's the inheritance that we have as part of our calling. So from eternity past, so we have an inheritance, and those are the verses, Romans 8.29 and Ephesians 1.3, we just covered. So what else? is happening in eternity past. Well, not only did God foreknew, foreknow you, not only did he bless you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, but he chose you. So we're chosen. That's the next 
thing that happened. But all of this is still under eternity past. We're chosen what? What are we chosen for? So if somebody says you're chosen, your first question should be, for what? Right? That should be... A lot of people today are running around talking about, I'm chosen. I'm called. But you, you should be asking them, what are you chosen and called for? For what? Right? If somebody picked you out and, and there was a whole crowd of people and somebody came up and picked you out of the crowd and said, you stand over here. Your first question should be, what am I standing over here for? Is this a lineup? Maybe I'm in trouble. But, but no, you're chosen for what? Right? That's what you have to ask. Not many people are asking that question. And the people who are asking the question, a lot of them are getting it wrong. People are talking about I'm chosen for salvation and all these other things. So let's move forward. I think we can just finish this. We're chosen to be in Christ. That's Ephesians 1.4. For he chose you in him before the creation of the world. That's what we're chosen for. So what, so what do we... And then, he, this has all happened before time began. We're predestined and adopted. Right? Adoption is part of our predestination because God is the one who marked out what our destiny would be. That's Ephesians 1.5. It says, he, in love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons. That's Ephesians 1.5. And so, so that's before time began. All of this, God knew about you and what he was going to do with you. He knew about your blessings, the inheritance. He knew about your choosing. He chose you for this. He knew about your, your predestination. You're in Christ, the whole thing, and what you would look like. You were adopted as sons, and that is Roman-style adoption. And all of that is in eternity past, before time began. Okay, so then we move to in time. What happened in time? What, what happens? Well, we're called. Called has to do with our, what, when we receive the call. In other words, salvation. That's why it says, we're, it doesn't say we're ambassadors for people to be in Christ. It says we're, ambass we're ministers of reconciliation. We're ministers of uh, for that, right? like in 2 Corinthians 5. And the reason is, is because we have to, upon someone's salvation, all of those things happen to them. They're baptized by the Spirit, they're filled with the Spirit, all those things that happen to people to distinguish them from all other human beings. But it happens only through the gospel, like we discovered, uh, and it, that the mystery is through the gospel, all of this, what happened. So salvation is key. So it's the verse we also often quote, is that it is God's will that all men be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's for us in this age, to come to who we are in Christ. So in time we're called and then we're justified, right? Justified means saved. God puts us in the right relationship with him. We are reconciled to God. Now, I could also put in there, we're baptized by the Holy Spirit and all these other things, right? Because those are things that simultaneously happen that are positional as well. We are seated with him in the heavenly realms positionally, right? But then we're still on the battlefield. All those things happen in time. We, we're rewarded for the work we've done. We allow God to use us in time. So the scriptures I have are Romans 8.30, which says, 
uh, and those he called he also justified which we'll get to next week and then Ephesians 1 13 and 14 which talks about you were included in Christ when you heard the word of it, it explains what it means to be called and and how God uh, after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation having believed you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit that's how you got in Christ salvation that's how it happens no special no you get saved and then after a while God thinks about it and he says mm, I want you to be in Christ no it happens upon the moment you believe in Christ and then future what's happening in the future well then you'll be glorified and that's Romans 829 as well I don't know if I put that but it means yes 830 actually it should be 830 yeah it is so 823 where it talks about we're looking for the full adoption of sons that is the resurrection of our bodies and then 30 it talks about that we would be glorified glorified that's the future for us and the glorified well, we know it's going to affect a whole lot. It's not just talking about salvation. It's talking about what we've been talking about all along. The great effect of who we are in Christ and the, the position to which we've been raised and, and how it affects all creation. And eventually, God will destroy all things and create all, everything new and on and on. We've read. This is who we are. So, point H, we're going to end this. So this is just a quote, Ephesians 1.11. This is what it says. In him, we were also chosen. Having Now, this is what it means from another perspective. Paul already said some of this stuff, but notice. Having been predestined according to the plan of him. So notice, this is all part of God's eternal plan. All of this is, is according to it. In other words, don't think... This is haphazard or random or anything. God planned this out to the T, as we say. It's perfect. And then it says, who works out everything. So remember when we read in uh, Romans 8.28, for it is God who works together all things for the good, right? This is what he's doing. This is what he's talking about. According to the plan of him who works out everything. And what is he working it out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. If you want to know what is God doing right now, this is the verse to read. This is what's happening as we speak. It might look like chaos in this world, but this is what's going on. God is working step by step and to, to it's according to the plan of him. It's in conformity with the purpose of his will. It, it is happening for real right now in, the, in time. And all of this will lead to the glorious future that we know is a part of our destiny as well. Let's quit. And next week we'll talk about verse 30. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for this time. We have, uh, we, we, we have a glorious future. And it's because you chose us in him before the creation of the world. Help us to be ministers of reconciliation so that others may come to know you and, and take their place in the battle. All this we ask in the precious name of our Lord who blazed the trail. He opened the door for us so that we can be sons. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.